everybody and welcome to this week's session of Behind the Screen. I am Amber, playing everybody's favorite Kenku. Uh, Cameron is here to facilitate. He is not feeling terribly well this week, so he will only be asking questions. And we have a guest with us this week. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi everyone, I'm Ski. I've uh, been playing role-playing games in D&D for, gosh, almost 20 years now. and. Uh, looking forward to to having a good time. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, our Poundmeister is not joining us this week. So for those of you watching on YouTube, it will be audio only. Um, that being said, Ski, one of the questions everybody is asked when they first join us, what is your snack of choice for game? Oh, uh... Uh, lime and flame and hot Cheetos, definitely. <laughs> nice. Almost, almost, almost always. I'm like, I got something spicy so that I can be spicy when I'm when I'm DMing, especially when I'm DMing. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. All right, uh, Cameron, you have a bunch of questions for us, I believe. Yes, I do. So, my first question to the two of you. How do you come up with a campaign setting? Ski, you're uh, a little better at this one. Drugs. Uh, no, I kid. I kid. <laughs> um, honestly, I tend to just reach out to all of the like different fantasy or sci-fi or whatever kind of, um, you know, novels and, and games and stuff in those realms. And I kind of look at, well, what, what works in this? What works in this? Um, and then I just kind of fall into it. Uh, you know, I just work on it and work on it and work on it um, un until I finally kind of create, you know, an, its setting or a world or, or whatever I'm kind of endeavoring to. So basically what I'm saying is, is theft. Theft is like the best way to kind of create your own setting. Steal from everything that you love so that you can create something different. I mean, yeah, I have to agree. Uh, when I'm running Delta Green, um, only some of my players have figured this out. A lot of my characters uh, and part of the world are based off of one of my favorite book series. Um, a lot of the rest of it comes from random ideas that I get just talking to people or scrolling the internet. Yeah, I find yeah. conversation definitely. Oh, I'm sorry. Conversation Love definitely you. is a big way to like, like do that. Like talking to other people who play or other people who DM and like bouncing ideas. Like that's what gets it from that kind of point of. Of, of setting to actually getting to the point where you can like run it as an as an actual like constructed story. Good answers all around. Ah, my next question: What is your ideal session length? Ooh, that is. So when I'm running a game, ideally, I'm looking at between three to four hours a session. Um, I have been known to run back-to-back -back sessions or multiple sessions in a day. 
but definitely need at least a little bit of a break in between, um, if only to kind of switch gears and make sure that I'm in the right setting and the right campaign. Um, but I think after four hours, if I don't take at least like a 30 minute break, my brain starts going to mush and uh, yeah, I start losing stuff. <laughs> what about you, Ski? I'll start with that as a player. Um, as a, when I'm playing, I can really not do anything more than three or four hours. Uh, I just have a tendency because I, I DM kind of more consistently than anything else that playing like a single character or something, I kind of start wandering uh, and I, I lose really hard focus after three or four hours. DMing though, it really depends on the game setting. You know, if it's something like a world of darkness um, kind of thing, I could run between six and eight hours, especially if it's a game more focused on like once a month meetings, you know, so you have that kind of all day constructed game so that you actually have the time to really dig in and complete things. With Dungeons and Dragons, between three, three and five hours or, you know, any of those kind of more standard games that a lot of people are used to playing, um, you know, as far as being a DM and then just how I've experienced with running for players, once you get past that kind of five hour mark, especially if you're starting a little later in the evening, everyone kind of starts to lose focus and, and can't, you know, really keep, keep going with it. But in that amount of time, you can get a lot done, especially in, like, 5th edition D&D, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, Ski is actually one of my jams. Um, I think I was talking about his game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and we play, we play late. Um, and we usually go for, what, five to six hours for D&D? Uh, and the rest of us will start petering out, and then we have this one player who's just like, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. Ah, yes, <laughs> our eternal, uh, no, no, we must play more, while the, while the rest of us, even the DM is like, my brain is leaking out of my ear. I have already run, like, tons of different encounters, 20 different NPCs. It's been five and a half hours, it's almost 2 a.m., and... My poor buddy in the Midwest is it's going on 3 a.m. We, we, we have to stop. Yeah. And then there's there's two of us who are just like we hit one and we're both like half asleep. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. It was just like, uh, yep, people are starting to fall asleep at the table. Uh, let's let's just wrap up this last role play, wrap up, you know, uh, this last like combat, if there's a big bat or something like that, and then then let's just cut it and move on and, and begin in the next session. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know for me as a player, I can, it really varies. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the GM. With newer GMs, it doesn't really matter the system. I'm, I can go for about three hours. But part of that is because with newer GMs, I'm usually assisting them and helping teach them as we go um, while I'm still playing. So it takes a lot more mental energy than either running or playing um, because you're kind of doing both. Definitely. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, with an experienced GM like Ski or the person who introduced me to Delta Green or, you know, even some of my earlier D&D GMs. We could go for, I think the first Delta Green game I was in, we went for eight to nine hours straight, three days in a row. Wow. Every year. Uh, but it was a once a year game uh, where we would get together for two or three days. 
Uh, so it wasn't really just we can play every week. It was we have three days to get this scenario done. Um, so that kind of gives you incentive, especially if you're seeing people that you only see once a year for a few days. Uh, definitely. Uh, just like I said, the, like once a month game. I used to run a once a month um, uh, new NWOD Hunter, the Vigil game. And, you know, we would play for a solid like eight hours, but because it was once a month, like everyone had a long time to think about like what their characters wanted to do, how they wanted to proceed, and I had a lot of time to plan. So there was just always plenty of, of stuff to do, which is much harder if you're doing a weekly or bi-weekly game. Yeah, or if you're in multiple games at the same time because your brain's like, okay, what character am I playing today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's part of the reason I tend to resort to similar characters uh, for, you know, the same type of scenario um, where I'm playing Rion here at of Dyson Pen. Um, she's only level four at the moment. Uh, she is the level four version of the druid that I am playing in Ski's game, who is currently level 14, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know what my build's going to look like as I level up. Um, not quite as many feats. Uh, Penmeister isn't quite as willing to hand those out right now, but that's understandable. It is still a new game and, uh, we are recording. <laughs> it makes things interesting. Definitely. I am a little bit of an odd one. I tend to, to be a big rules breaker when it comes to you know, doing different things. Uh, I tend to like giving players more power than what's in the books, handing out, you know, feats here and there, or, uh, you know, a stat boost, or having different interesting things happen that may, you know, change the character or give the character more power. Um, but, you know, then also on the other side of it, I buff up at monsters and things that, that everyone fights. So it balances itself out, but I think it... it Keeps the game going, especially when something's been going on. Uh, this game's going to be going on almost four years now uh, in July. So, you know, you got to keep it fresh and interesting for everybody as best you can. Uh, it, it definitely is. It keeps us on our toes. Um, that's for sure. And uh, it is it is a rare session that we don't see combat. And combat can easily last two to three hours at that level. And that's with really? only... I think if everybody's there, we've only got four players. Yeah, yeah, but still, uh, you know, things get complicated when you're bringing creatures and things in of that, of that same level. <laughs> things get wild. Things get crazy. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, beautiful answers all around. Actually, speaking of feats and whatnot and ways players work, uh, what are your opinions on, on people bringing homebrew races into your game? Um, Sick. <laughs> with D&D, &D, homebrew races are becoming less and less of a thing as more and more books come out. Um, there was a point in time when Kankus were a homebrew. Uh, as well as Aarakocra, which is the other character I'm playing. Um, I've played a Tabaxi. Those were homebrew at one point, and they're all canon now. Yeah, I mean, 
especially with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I I love uh, the, all, any sort of homebrewing and, and things like that. I'm even open to certain types of homebrew feats and some like class adjustments and things like that. Of course, you have to prove to me that this is really like an aspect of your character that's not just like, hey, I want a power boost, but that it is kind of integral to to that construction. Um, but you know, with the, the multiversal kind of aspect that um, D&D has really embraced, especially through fifth edition, you know, it opens up the world to, you know, beings and species and races and things from everywhere across, you know, multiple different universes. I mean, right now uh, in, in the Saturday game, we have a, a Volshock uh, half-orc from, who would be from Mirrodin for Magic the Gathering, um, which I don't think there is any official, like, Mirrodin uh, text or anything like that for 5th for edition D&D, although I hope one day they may go back to that. And, and release something like they have for um, other worlds like Theros. That would definitely be awesome. And then we've got our elf, who nobody's entirely certain what he is most days. We're not even sure where he's from yet, really, except for part Underdark and part question mark. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes for an interesting combination. I, I think a Kanku from the Feywilds is pretty tame compared to the rest of it. It, it feels like that sometimes, you know, when, when it's just like, oh, you were, um, your nanny was a beholder. Okay, th this is awesome. Insane, but I love it. And that was an actual line that came up in our game. <laughs> and would be a great sitcom. It would be a great, great sitcom. <laughs> it would be. My nanny was a beholder. It it sounds like one of those Disney Channel uh, home movies. Definitely. <laughs> and now from Holbach. Disney, if you're listening, we need to make this. Uh, Paramount, 20%. 20%. Uh... Okay, uh, question number four. Do you prefer to have background music in your games? I do not. Um, something that uh, our listeners are aware of is I have misphonia. So a lot of noise or loud noises make things challenging for me. Um, if I need background music, it's going to be specifically songs that are calming for me so i'm not going to share them with the table um and there'll be things that'll be going straight through my headphones uh rather than where everybody can hear them that being said if the players want to do a watch with me or a bot in the channel i can mute the bot i can just not join the watch with me and they are more than welcome to do that add their own music and whatnot um, and share it with each other, because I know a lot of players enjoy having that background. Yeah, I would say as as a player, um, I, I do enjoy it in in some of the games that I've been in more, more recently. Like I'm in a, a cyberpunk red game uh, where the kind of cyberpunk aesthetic music does kind of really add to it. But as a DM, I'm I'm really old school. I, I set up a webcam and and put a bunch of figures onto a table and draw everything out. 
so I don't really add any any sort of music or anything like that. I'll listen to music personally, usually similar uh, to Amber, something like lo-fi or something relaxing, something that kind of keeps me a little bit on track. But besides that, um, I just kind of let everyone decide, you know, if they want to have their own background music or bring something like that in. I'm sure one of our players plays metal whenever there's a really intense fight going on. It would not surprise me. Um, so, you know, because of that old, old school aesthetic, I kind of keep it to not really um, putting it in background music and stuff like that. I don't, I don't use any of the online things. Everything's on Discord and through webcam. <laughs> I, I also know that, especially with that table, most of us have a varying taste in music. Um, there are some bands that we can definitely agree on. I know the lot of us have all gone to concerts together uh, several times. Um, matter of fact, there was one year where we went to back-to-back -back concerts. Uh, I love you guys, never again. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I drove that 1,100 miles, and I, nope. Never gonna happen three, again. Three days, uh, with severe traffic on both ends. <laughs> that was a uh, nope. Um, or if we do that, we are not packing the car with four people because, well, only one of us has a sense of direction. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just not dealing with anyone else. <laughs> I was like, I'll take one person. One. Yeah, the other two got us lost at least once each. Um, uh, but that being said, for me, I actually, when it's my personal music, whether I'm playing or jamming, um, I do have a tendency to listen to metal. Um, definitely lower, uh, uh, slower metal than our orc does. Um, I have a... Sabaton makes the playlist pretty often. Um but also, you know, Papa Roach, Skillet, uh, bands like that for me. Definitely more 90s metal. Um, probably falling into the new metal slash uh, orchestral metal genre. Um, whereas our other player, who we can guarantee listens to metal during fights, is... Uh, well, I can't understand half the growl growling lyrics. <laughs> Yeah, lots of black, lots of kind of death, um, that that sort of, of, of realm of uh, metal. Uh, yeah, Dying Fetus, uh, Amon Amarth, bands like that. Although Amon Amarth is perfect for uh, battle scenes. <laughs> especially in a good fantasy setting. Yeah, uh, and especially in those ones when we're going up against like 20 mobs. <laughs> I, I still don't know how we have managed to all survive this long. There have only been a few deaths. Uh, well, part of that is your um, DM has the luck of non-existence. Uh, I am I am cursed by uh, was it uh, Bashiba? I think is is the the goddess of bad luck uh, or something like that. And uh, I, I, I must have a absolute curse on my head. Not as a player. When I'm a player, I'm plenty fine. But as a DM, many times I can't really roll above a seven on the dice. And there's nights where I really can't roll above a four. So, you know, it just ends up being that I'll, I'll throw a bunch of more mobs and crazy things on the table. And then everyone never gets hit by them. Or the spells. Or anything else. <laughs> 
unless you were playing my two favorite NPCs, at which point you roll as well as I do. <laughs> that is true. If I if I am playing uh, DMPCs, I I run um, uh, a kind of multi time thing in in this game. Uh, and so I have to run DNPCs to kind of complete that aspect of the party because Amber's character is technically from a different time and there's a whole complicated background to that that'll take me two hours to explain. So we're not going to go there. Um, but yeah, when I'm, when I'm doing that, even whether I do it in digital roll or roll on the table, it's great. So there's just some weird universe uh, chicanery going on, I guess. <laughs> um, whereas listeners will have spotted my luck by now when it comes to the dice if i am rolling skills i cannot roll for shit uh except last night last night i kept getting really lucky with my rolls for some reason highly unusual it was but once we enter combat nothing can touch me and uh, everything dies fast Fair enough. Uh, I think with this one, we're going to have an interesting one. What is your favorite natural 20 moment? Either as a player or a DM. I can tell you my least favorite. <laughs> uh, that one comes to mind. I was a player. And this was back in secondary school. Uh, I was a upperclassman at that point in time. And it was a uh, after school club where we got together. We played tabletop games. Unfortunately, because it was a club and the game was being run by a teacher, we could not turn anyone away. So there were 20 players at the table, many of them freshmen who had never picked up a set of dice before. One of them when we broke off into different groups, decided he was going to tag along with my group. Uh, the five of us had been playing together for several years at that point, so we knew each other's styles and kind of learned to play off of each other. And this one player, freshman, very, very green, um, kept trying to kill us or steal from us or whatever, and... Thankfully, we had a no PvP rule, so he couldn't succeed. But by some weird turn of events, as we all know can happen, we went the wrong way and ended up in the place we weren't supposed to hit for another five levels. Um, five of us walk up to a temple where there are about 150, I think it was orcs. Oops. All very bloodthirsty all very bad at us but we managed to kill one of them so he's in front of us there's a puddle of blood the rest of them are glaring at us and we know we're about to well eat it now this freshman was playing a lawful good elven ranger this was 3.5 so many many years ago and he turns and looks at our gm can i pray to the blood to turn into a dragon. Needless to say, the five of us experienced players all uh, kind of went face down on the table. At once. The thud, as I remember it, uh, was very loud in that mostly empty classroom. 
And uh, being a GM, wanting to keep the kid interested in the game, the rest of us were not complaining too much, although there was definitely some grumbling. Uh, he says, yeah, sure, you can try. First roll, nat 20. Okay, roll to confirm. Nat 20. Give me one more. Nat 20. On the plus side, he saved our asses. I don't think any of the five of us showed up to another session after that, though. <laughs> 23 years later, I still tell that story. I have a, a similar kind of, um, when I'm DMing especially, uh, a story, although this one is on the more side of, of loving it, uh, because uh, I do love the this exploding critical, even in 5th edition, I've been like, alright, we're dragging this in from previous editions. You know, you roll a 20, you roll two 20s, you roll three 20s. Uh, we've had a few of those happen in the game so far. It's hard to pick a specific moment. But I think we did have one occasion where our uh, Volshock orc friend did roll four 20s in a row. Which at that point, uh, since every one of the players has a dragon aspect, they're, they're under the, um, uh, not control, but under the uh, power of uh, a, a dragon. And uh, at that point... There was a big battle. They were fighting against uh, a, a greater demon, uh, probably one of the, the heads of the Abyss, or at least an avatar of that. And, well, after 420s, you just summon the entire aspect of the dragon. And, and the really fun thing that I love about that as a DM is you can just, you just have the excuse to have something really, really incredible happen and to be able to go into really like detail and you know the player that's experiencing that and even the other players all just really enjoy like the, the this cool thing of something like so rare that happens being kind of so magnanimous and and incredible um and it, that even happened a few weeks ago where we had 320s and i had a whole thing planned out there was a a plague that had been set down by a, a Beelzebul who is the uh Lord of the Seventh in the Nine Hells, and at that point, wipes out the plague, uh, gets connected to Beelzebul because uh, he's like, wait, hold on, how did some freaking paladin just do this and just solve the whole thing? This is one of my most powerful virulences. I borrowed this from Nurgle himself. And uh, it created this like really interesting and cool role-playing opportunity and opportunity to like continue building the world and sharing information at the same time, like giving a really cool benefit for that, like triple crit going down. So, you know, any, any time there's a critical that goes into another critical that goes into another critical or farther, those are just the coolest moments I've ever had uh, while DMing for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. I was, well, I was racking my brain about favorites. That was actually the one that came to mind. Uh, it was so much fun to just sit back and watch that happen. Um, especially since I think we skipped like several hours worth of combat with that. Yeah, pretty <laughs> and much. And like running around town and just all of this stuff that goes with it. 
instead of, well, we have to fight these demons or these fiends and we have to figure out what's going on and whatnot. Nope. Our paladin just walks in, smacks him and says, we're done here. Um, Would have had to go into the sewers. The paladin really hates sewers. Channel that into the dice on the table and that's what happened. Yeah, the, the paladin and the kanku hate the sewers. Uh, the paladin because he keeps ending up down there and the kanku because that smell never comes out of her feathers. <laughs> Pretty sure I still smell like that from the last time. Despite several rounds of prestidigitation. Um, <laughs> it was uh, pretty bad. Although it does not help that I fell in the water that time. Um, no, that didn't help. <laughs> of course, I can't <laughs> help it. Sewers are just such a great place for things to be in, in any sort of city uh, and things like that. I, you know, I mean, even a lot of the fantasy and different things I've read, there's always something going on in the sewers. It's a good place to hide. But, you know, then you end up with a, a paladin who's very curmudgeonly on, oh, we're going to the sewers again. Wonderful. I'm going to get very dirty and it's going to smell. Why yeah. do you do this? Um, I will say that Paladin is one of my favorite characters to play with. He just, he is so much fun. Um, and he is just so charismatic. Uh, and he's not just like that in game two. He is just like that. Um, some people walk around with a pocket full of charisma and it makes the role playing even better. <laughs> I, you know what? He, he does not have a 20 in charisma. He has a higher than 20 um, from what I have seen. I'm pretty sure he actually pulled from a modified deck of many things and just got a boost of charisma. I, I mean, with, with the way that he is, he's either part Fey or he messed with the Fey at some point. I'm, I'm just saying in real, like, I, in real life, I swear there's like something going on there, but Hey, you know, some of us get so lucky. <laughs> I, I mean, we have joked several times that he is Chaos Incarnate. <laughs> chaos Goblin, uh, well, really, Chaos Being in living form. I can't, can't really call someone that tall a, a Gelbin. Uh, <laughs> or Fey. Fey do not get that tall. But there has to be something going on there. <laughs> Definitely. Maybe a Satyr. Mm, yeah, Satyr would be good. <laughs> that would make sense. Um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the flip side, I'm trying to rack my brain to see if I we've got any good Nat One story. Um, so I do have a good Nat One story, but it's technically not a Nat One story. Uh, so Delta Green Call of Cthulhu universe, we play uh percentile rather than D twenty. And the way percentile works is you try to roll under the score rather than over it. And uh, some of the skills you've got, you have no skill points in. But a one will always succeed, even if you've got a zero in that. And uh, we always joke that, you know, even if you ha don't have it, it's possible to get a one. I have only ever seen it happen once. And it Cameron, do you even remember what skill that was you were rolling? I want to say computing. It it might have been. Uh, <laughs> whatever it was, it was just like, well, did not expect that to happen, but we're going to give you some bonuses here. Um, I was running that game at the time, so that was kind of crazy. Um, 
What about you, Ski? Can you think of any good Nat One stories? Um, I actually have a really, really good one. Um, and it's a D20 game. So the Nat One was um, not one. Uh, like the, the real hard, uh, not good Nat Ones. But uh, it's, it's in kind of an odd uh, role-playing game. It's called Exodus, but we all call it not Fallout, the RPG, because the company had the rights to Fallout when Obsidian still owned it. Bethesda bought it and told them, you can go off yourself. Uh, and so they had to change everything, but it's still very Fallout, and so not Fallout the RPG is really the best name for it. And I was running it uh, with, a, with a bunch of people that were kind of just getting into role-playing games. Maybe they had like a little bit over a year or two of experience. And uh, we introduced a new character, a new player joined the game, and he decided to take the idea of like military man to the absolute nth possible degree and so he comes in and he immediately threatens the party and i go oh boy well where's this gonna go uh and then they get into an argument and he goes well fine i fire the gun but that one the gun jams so they tie him up and then after a while they finally come to an agreement untie him and he goes well uh, I want to unjam my gun. Okay, yeah, go ahead and, and roll to unjam your gun. Not one. Uh, I'm sorry, you didn't say at any point that you took the ammunition out of your weapon, did you? No, okay. Uh, you, you, you crack the gun, and a little bit of the ammunition gets stuck and, and, and explodes, so you get a little bit of damage. But, you know, we have someone in the party who's a, a salvager and is really good at, like, engineering and, and cobbling things back together, has a bunch of spare parts. So he's like, all right, let's just, you know, I'll ignore you trying to, to blast me in the stomach before with a shotgun. I'll try and fix it for you as a show of good faith. Nat one. Well, you couldn't get the bullets out. The scavenger looks at both parts of the gun and slams them together, and it, it explodes. So then... The super mutant that we had playing in the game, because yes, in this, for some reason, you can play as a super mutant as, a, as an actual uh, playable race in this game, which I think is amazing. But he goes, well, I good at salvage too, can salvage parts from blown up gun. Nat one punches all of the, the parts into basically dust. There is nothing salvageable uh, from, from this at all. So over the space of, of two weeks, because we had to end the session in the middle of, of, of this insanity, we had four Nat Ones in a row on the same item between three different people, which is one of the most amazing instances of this gun was meant to be gone forever that I have ever seen, or any weapon or item or person. Yeah, I, I would definitely have to agree with that one. The, the that, gun that, that gun was cursed. That gun was cursed. I, you know, if the dice gods want something to be a certain way, it'll be that way. <laughs> Out of curiosity for this Fallout game, were you playing on the East Coast or the West Coast? Uh, we were playing on the West Coast. Interesting. Because uh, West Coast ones aren't. Uh, Oh, well, actually, no, I lie. I'm getting my fallout all wrong. Excuse me. Uh, You're fine. <laughs> I, I 
got obsessed with the fallout universe. My autism's going to show if I keep talking, so I'm just going to move along. Okay, uh, I love it too. I love it too. Uh, I'm I'm very addicted to watching a couple YouTubers that do very exhaustive playthroughs. So now I'm like very exhaustively knowledgeable about the Fallout universe. So I feel it. I get it. Yeah. That being yeah. said, Bethesda, don't sue us. Yeah, please. The creation engine is en aging very well, Mister Howard sir. <clears throat> it just works. Anyway, so this one especially talks to the DMs, to the DM side. What is the stupidest thing your players have ever done? And did you let, uh, ever suggest, and did you let it happen? Oh my God, there are so many moments. Yeah, um, I tend to really dislike, in fact, it's built into my my game that I run every other Saturday, uh, that you can't even really have PvP because breaking the rules on that level due to a contract all the players are uh, quite literally forced into, you can't attack the other players. You all just have to find a way to make nice. Um, and, and it's always just down to like someone being really antagonistic and getting kind of egotistical about the power of their character uh, or, or, or some such thing, which just always leads to people feeling uncomfortable like, and, and all sorts of things. Um, or people that just make really ostentatiously dumb decisions where they just go for the dumbest possible thing they can and they're just like, well, I don't hear any better ideas from any of you. And everyone just goes, please don't. And then they do it anyways. I'll often let it happen to an extent, but there are definitely have definitely been times where I have just put my foot down and been like, no, you're not just executing this person. Um, you're not, you're, you know, I can tell you're kind of metagaming through this. It's, it's making the game kind of boring. Um, but I've definitely, you know, let, allowed players to make really, really horrible mistakes because they're like, oh, well, uh, I'm going to attack that crying child that's being attacked by Tomb Mites. This was in our old 3.5 Ravenloft game. And I was like, okay, uh, you all failed all of any perceptions or any way to go, go through that. Well, nope, you just killed an actual child. And you're a paladin. Guess what? Your god abandons you. Congratulations. It was supposed to be a visage, which is a relatively powerful, uh, elusive creature. But you know, at the last second, I just decided, nope, nope, you're you're paying the price for for your actions. Deal with it. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, we've we've had there is there is a one specifically in my Delta Green game that I can think of, and this started somebody on a path. Uh, to a very interesting way. Um, so the group was going after this drug dealer who had managed to get their hands on a kind of demon. And uh, he was providing artifacts for them to kind of slip out into the world. And the group walk up to the door, knock on it. And our FBI agent in the bad suit with the sunglasses uh you know the you can spot them a mile away look 
talks to the uh, drug dealer of, well, we heard this was the place to get drugs. Okay, a little skeptical there. Followed by, so we heard you had priceless artifacts. <laughs> the, 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 the facepalm moment. I had to mute myself for a minute there. Um, yes, yes, that did happen. Um, she got shot. Because uh, one, you don't walk up to a drug dealer when they don't know you and ask for drugs. And uh, two, you don't ask, walk up to a drug dealer when they don't know you and ask about priceless artifacts that they're not supposed to even know exist. Um, that whole town got burned down shortly after, as well as a consequence of that, because it triggered some stuff that wasn't supposed to happen for a couple more days. But because they made that move, well, stuff started faster than planned. Um, she, that specific character, is now our pyromaniac and not allowed to have lighters in-game. Or matches. Or magnifying glasses. Uh, or anything that... else that might possibly start a fire. Oh dear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Although on the flip side, when they need somebody, something burned down... Somebody will turn to her and say, here's a lighter, there's your target. <laughs> Reminded of the uh, pyromaniac X-Man, uh, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, as, as a GM, it is hilarious to see. Uh, for me, the stupidest thing that's ever happened, and I've let it work, was... The uh, blue tit mafia that I had to create. Uh, there will be no further explanation as to what that is. I don't think uh, I was in that game. This was a. We hadn't even met yet. Ah. Uh, this was during uh, the bigger part of the lockdown. I had players in a game of Dungeon World, and uh, one of them was a druid, and they encountered the Blue Tip Mafia. I have no further questions, Your Honor. Uh, well, no further answers. I do have questions, though. So just I, get some of these ideas. I just imagine a mafia of small blue birds all wearing fedoras and little jackets, gangster jackets. It's just, I can't get it out of my head and I never will be able to. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, I would, I would be okay with that. It sounds kind of adorable. Truly. They all spoke in Italian-American accents when he was uh, used the equivalent of speak with animals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And unintentionally, because the GM wasn't paying attention, whoops, uh, the leader of them was Joe Pecky. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, speaking of GM's testing stuff, this is actually a great segue. Uh, if you make a magical item, how do you test to see if it's overpowered or underpowered? 
give it to the players. I, I can always destroy it later if I absolutely need to. Um, although I do have a tendency to not actually give players all of the stats. They can figure it out as they go. Um, that way, if I need to make changes, I can make changes. Yeah, I, I do things pretty similarly. I guess just, you know, hand it to the players. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much a DM of like, you know, I'm, I'm controlling the universe, you know, so even if I test something out, it goes wrong. I, I can always like kind of work that around or hide some of, of the aspects of it, especially on the level of something like an artifact um, or something like that. You can usually obfuscate a lot of, a lot of the aspects of it, leaving the players kind of getting more and more information as they go. In fact, I've got quite a few of those going in the game right now um, that they can, you know, as they get more powerful, as they learn more, as they interact more, they can be able to unlock more things. Especially when those artifacts have beings inside of them, which just makes another whole avenue of wonderful role-playing. Um, and then, you know, if it, worst comes to worst, if it really just is, is too absolutely bonkers, uh, there's always ways to just have the magical item, you know, go away in a way that's fair. Usually, you know, if, if I feel the absolute need to do that, I'm going to find a way to also give um, the player something like with some sort of equivalency so that they don't feel necessarily too put out by like having to go, well, this, nah, this artifact's not going to work anymore. I mean, yeah. yeah, we've we've had a few things disappear, but they've always been worth losing for one reason or another. It ends up it's cursed, and then you just you know take it from there. <laughs> so, uh, with that, uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, this could be as a player or a DM. Aside from medieval fantasy, what other settings do you enjoy? Yes. Uh, I love kind of all settings. I Everything from fantasy, you know, to, to, to dystopian, to uh, modern, uh, to sci-fi future, you know, anything from a Warhammer 40k to a World of Darkness to a D&D. Anything else I can I can really get my hands on, even even something you know uh, strange like a Street Fighter role playing game or Anima or Legend of the Five Rings or some of these other you know Cthulhu and and, and various other ones that are out there. I, I kind of I kind of really do love everything. Although I will say um, my my absolute favorite is is modern modern Gothic, the kind of World of Darkness aesthetic uh, is something I've I've been in love with for a very very long time. Uh, and so that's usually my my choice du jour if I can wrangle enough people to play a hunter game. Yeah, um, I don't think it will come as a surprise to you, anyone that mine is kind of the horror uh, suspense genre. I definitely have a love for the Call of Cthulhu universe, Delta Green, and whatnot. Um, I I do not mind playing dystopian at all. I do enjoy it from time to time. Uh, not so big on the cyberpunk type of world um or the flat out horror uh, for some reason i just could not get into alien uh, but beyond that if you put a set of dice in my hand i will at least try anything 
Fair enough. Uh, we've talked about problem players uh, during this chat. One of the biggest problem players, I feel, is both an accepted uh, case of they exist, but also they really need to find the right game for them. Murder hobos. Uh, how do you handle murder hobos in your game? I refuse to play with them. If you attempt to go murder hobo in my game, you will be asked to leave my table. I will commonly deal sometimes the same way if it's if it's extreme enough. Um, but the one thing that I think anyone that's been in my games uh, is look, I I run the world as a living, breathing thing. While you guys are over in this area, there are things progressing and occurring elsewhere. Um, so, you know, there may be things that depending on time and how things get going and the effects of, you know, what you're doing here may have on other places, consequences. There, there, you, you will face the consequences of your actions. And, and I have gone so far in a um, World of Darkness game that the player just got uh, arrested and that that character went went to jail for forever in fact to like a a black a black box prison as as some people may refer to it where they'll they'll never be seen again um and then you know they made a new character and did the same thing and the character went went down the same path you know it, the and and eventually the the player started to kind of wrap around and this won't happen with all players but started to wrap around their mind that you can't just like I have guns, I go out a-blazing, I'm just going to, you know, use the power of, of my spells or weaponry or whatever setting you're in to just, get, you know, perform my will upon everything. No matter what, there's consequences in, in the worlds that, that I create and, and run as a DM. Um, and then, you know, if it keeps going, if it gets too bothersome and extreme, especially if I have multiple other players, you know, talking to me about, like, their discomfort or the kind of extremeness of it, um, I will just ask ask them to leave or tell them they're no longer welcome at my table. Yeah, um, I I think one of the stories that comes to mind, I'm not sure if it quite qualifies as murder hobo, but it's definitely close. Um, some of the players in games that I've run kind of figured out what was going on and decided that. Before they really even bothered to investigate, they were just going to blow up the building. They weren't going to empty out the building. They weren't going to make sure that everybody who lived in it was safe. Uh, they were just going to blow it up without warning. That group of players all got arrested. Um, one of them was just kind of along for the ride. But the other two faced more significant consequences, being the ones who orchestrated the show. Um, they got arrested. Uh, they woke up in their own beds the next morning, despite having fallen asleep in prison cells. And when they went back to said building to meet the rest of the team, building was still standing, people were still inside. Nothing had changed. Um, one of those players did end up leaving my table after that. Uh, he realized the game wasn't for him. But I do appreciate that he realized that and gracefully bowed out rather than me having to say, hey, you need to leave. Uh, 
Yeah, definitely. Just, you know, it, it's always they're you know trying to find a game that works for you. Uh, there's plenty of um, DMs, especially when it comes to like Dungeons and Dragons. I feel like where you know it, it's it's majorly just a dungeon crawl. You know, it's Dungeon of the Mad Mage or something like that, where you're mostly really really grinding through fight after fight after fight. Um, and it's it's kind of taste. It, it, this is not my style, and I I don't even really enjoy playing as much in those games. It's just not my thing. But you know, hey, if if murder hobo want a murder hobo, you know, find a game that's running one of those modules or something like that, where it's just constant, you know, battle, and you're just always kind of getting to flex those those combat or spells or or, or strategy and tactics of 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 your character like you know it's it's just not my game uh and it's really not in the other games that i'll play in either um i love the role-playing aspect of things theater of the mind and really creating a character and fully placing yourself into that character i find to be more important than any mechanic that could be in the game so you know but that's just my style um so you know there's always there's always dms out there there's always games running out there for whatever kind of play style that you're looking for so it's just not right for everybody yeah definitely um personally i like having a puzzle in front of me that i'm trying to solve or put the pieces together to that's not to say i don't enjoy combat i don't enjoy the world as it stands and everything that goes with it but um i i I like having all of the pieces together rather than just a dungeon crawl. Um, I started out with dungeon crawls. Nothing wrong with them. It's just not for me. Yeah, I've certainly given you plenty of puzzles in the Saturday game to chew on. This this is true. Uh, last night came with a few re uh, realizations of, oh crap, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Before I went and made friends with the monster. Nice. Uh, so this is an interesting one. A lot of players will say that they don't like to be railroaded, which is perfectly fine. But players will also say that they don't want to be left to do their own thing. They do want something to happen, but they don't know what. How do you balance that as a deal? So there is there is a difference between railroading and guiding. Um, the way I see it is my job as a GM is to lay out the pieces and say, okay, these are your paths, these are your options. Um, and I always make sure that unless there is something very, very specific I need players to do, uh, I will lay out options. And if they choose to take none of those, well, I will figure something out. Uh, even if it involves moving something and making it happen despite what they've done. Uh, because my job as the GM is to continue to advance the story. Uh, that's that's not to say that the players have no impact on the story at all. Player choices make all of the impact. I just decide the consequences <laughs> of those choices. Um, that being said, I, I don't like railroading uh, very often, but it is a necessity from time to time. There are key things that occasionally need to happen. But I will say this, in the games that I run, um, I always make sure there is one experienced player who is not only familiar with my style, 
but familiar with what I need uh, and comfortable enough that if I message them on the side and be like, hey, so I need you to do this one very specific thing, they will do it without question. Uh, therefore, meaning making it so I don't have to railroad the team. Um, and the group understand, uh, well, the more experienced players understand that I'm asking them to do this so I can trigger something um, that will either make their lives easier or significantly advance the storyline when they're stalled up. Uh, I do things very similarly. Um, you know, there's, I always drop clues and opportunities, points of engagement, whether it's, hey, there's a letter for you, or overhearing someone at the inn, um, or, you know, someone seeking them out. You know, the, the kind of nice thing about, you know, after you kind of get into the role-playing game, you're, you're a certain amount of time in. The, I think the th mistake a lot of DMs can make is not thinking <laughs> about how their actions and reputation and people kind of knowing about their existence is going to affect those kinds of, of opportunities and consequences and, and kind of changes in the world. Um, so I create kind of a subset of, of paths uh, that they can go on and then, you know, they don't necessarily have to complete all of them, but choose the ones that they feel, well, this will have the most impact or this is kind of more urgent or more important. Um, usually kind of having them, you know, they choose to have a meeting with with somebody or, you know, they get that letter and go, okay, well, we've got to get more information on this. And that kind of sets it along that pathway. Um, I wouldn't call it railroading, but there are also moments in games where all of those things that have been happening and all of the accomplishments or failures or, you know, kind of mediocrity of the players and, and what's happening with the NPCs in the world reaches a boiling point and events just start to occur. Of course, it's always up to the players if they truly do not wish to engage with this, but a lot of times then the consequences would be so dire that most of the players, if not all the players, are almost always like, you know, this is this is kind of the culmination of, of what we've been working on and fighting against, and this is this is our time to to finally end what's been kind of going on. I tend to create long threads of connections between um, all aspects of the of the worlds that I create so that when you know they do one thing it, it affects something else and eventually no matter what those things are going to come to some sort of of climax uh, for that kind of arc of, of the story or that arc of you know this these players journeys yeah definitely um and one of the things I appreciate about the map that you lay out for us, because really all of these different storylines are just a map, um, is that even if we say, okay, we're not going to explore this path now, we can go back to it weeks, months, sessions later. And, you know, there are options. There are always new things to explore. But beyond that, even when a certain path is geared towards a specific player rather than the whole group there's usually something for everybody in the group to be found regardless uh which keeps all of us involved and invested in the storyline yeah that's that's another aspect of it i think really that 
that is important that you just hit on there is no matter what, even if you have someone that's much heavier of a role player or some people that tend to um, sit a little bit more in the back, you know, as you get more experience, especially as a DM, you kind of shift to thinking, okay, even if this person's kind of leading the group in this direction, or, you know, it just so happens that there's an important aspect of the character or the or that specific character's involvement in things that maybe not everyone's so invested in, you know, making sure there's at least something for them uh, to sink their teeth into, which is kind of why I feel it's so, so important to make sure that your players are are thinking about and developing some level of, of backstory and having some sort of, you know, session zero or something like that to really get an understanding of what people are kind of wanting to get from that game, which that also honestly helps with what we were talking about er- earlier with like the murder hobo or various other, you know, players that, that might cause some difficulty because most of the time through that, that discussion, they'll realize this isn't the game for me. Yeah. And then more than that, um, you also, we regularly do solo sessions that advance our own storyline. Um, and these are great because a lot of times there are things that we specifically need to know that won't impact the rest of the group in any way. And this way we can do that without anybody else feeling like they're being sidelined for a significant period of time. Yeah, because, you know, you want everyone to have have their arc. You want everyone to have, you know, regardless of what role-playing game it is, having that investment in in the character and helping to build that. So, I, and this is something I've, I've kind of done for a long, long time with various, all the various role-playing games I've run, is always having the offer on the table of solo or small group sessions. Um, I go almost entirely by milestones uh, in most of the games that I run, um, and I tend to keep experience pretty pretty level regardless, but I find that if the player is invested in their character and invested in their story at that point, those kind of rewards fall more to the wayside. And now there's always something interesting in it for them. Maybe maybe it's you know moving towards an item or finding out something about their character or finding a new magic or finding a new thing. But if there's that level of, of investment, you don't end up with the kind of problem of players at different levels, because you're going to have players that are more interested in those solo sessions and, and, and creating and really developing that story. And you're going to have players that are, that are far less interested in that and, and might not do the same thing, but they're just as important, especially in the, the construction of the, the main game, so to speak. So, you know, I, I, I just really love the, the idea of developing story and, and creating that investment through smaller session play. If you have time, of course. (laughs) Definitely. One of these days we will have to sit down and just like explain my backstory because it's so crazy, but it's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's pretty absolutely insane, but that would also require a lot of backgrounding just on this wild, wacky world that I've that I've generated. So maybe sometime I'll have to go over that. There is that it's it's too bad we're so far in because that would make an awesome podcast. That's true. <laughs> Especially with our paladin. I would love to see our paladin on a few episodes. Oh, that would be that would be great. I think I, I think the kind of great benefit of having someone who is just a like really strong role player like that, but also someone who doesn't go out and just purely intend on taking over the game, which is is a problem that you can often run into, is your other players will 
just through observation, experiencing and seeing how things work, kind of learn from that player um, and be able <laughs> to develop their own things, basically. <laughs> I, I, my player has also, or my character has also started collecting people recently. Um, although, unlike our uh, paladin, who is more of a, you come work for me, and I will spare your life. I'm more of a, you come work for me, and I will take care of you forever. <laughs> you know, hey, and so, in, in one way or another, it kind of means the same thing. But you know, one's. One's an in intimidation check and one's a persuasion check. You know, there's a there's definitely a market difference there. Yeah, but between the two of us, we're going to own like half of the world. <laughs> yeah, and that's also something that I, I really just want to kind of note for any, any DM out there or any person that wants to get into DMing. Like really give your players the opportunity to build you know, a base to, to, to purchase things, to do things that are, you know, uh, outside of just the, you know, go out on quest tether and complete, complete quest and, and come back to the inn or a tavern. Like, you know, when, when players get some ownership over the world they exist in, that investment level really skyrockets because then it becomes more than just me, you know, you, if you own a tavern, you're responsible for the people in the tavern, you're responsible for the tavern, you're responsible for your workers, you know, that sort of thing. And that just creates another kind of dynamic of, of investment for a lot of players. It really does. Our paladin owns two taverns at this point in time, although uh, I own or am responsible for some of the workers in both taverns at this point, uh, just by virtue of people needed rescuing <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> we also own a couple of warehouses i think technically half of those are mine um although not sure how legal that is or if we're ever going to get caught great thing about being a kanku is i'm a master forger <laughs> a forgery is just a wonderful underutilized thing in, in many role-playing games i find it, it is, and yet it has come in so handy for us. Uh, more than once, we have demolished a building that technically didn't belong to us and uh, got the insurance money. <laughs> 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 or more rather, our paladin got the insurance money. Uh, I really need to talk to him about becoming an actual employee. <sighs> With as much forgery as I end up doing. Uh, oh, seriously. <laughs> and recruiting at this point. <laughs> Yes, we'll have Ava, head head recruiter and uh, forger of the uh, Empire of Coin. Yes, yes, we will. Uh, I'll I'll just talk to him about becoming like his right hand or something. Or that maybe would be his hilarious. left. I'm pretty sure his right hand used to be a chair. <laughs> that is accurate. Always do silly things. Anyone out there? Like you don't don't be too serious. Allow the game to get have its moments, you know, just like in any really good movie or TV series, you know, anime, you know, whatever media, video game media of your choice, you know, don't don't forget to let the silly moments happen. You need you need that kind of levity and brevity uh, in the game at some points, especially when you hit those dark moments of things just got really bad. You you need something stupid and silly to crack in every once in a while and just make everybody go what the fuck and start laughing 
Yeah, don't be afraid to make your players cry. I mean, you don't want to be vicious with it, but creating NPCs that are, you know, living, breathing characters instead of, you know, like in most modules, it's kind of like a paragraph or maybe at most a page if you're very lucky. And just really thinking about and expanding that if you're going to create this as a consistent NPC or, or an important NPC. Um, it, it just it makes it uh, a lot more fun and that level, but also, you know, when something bad does happen as a result of something that happens in the world, that attachment carries a lot of emotions with it. I have definitely made players laugh until they cried, and I've made players cry until they've incited giant riots and burned down monasteries before. So, you know, you want to carry that in between, uh, because if you if you manage to kind of navigate both of those things, again, it's another kind of layer of that investment. Once you get those emotions invest, invested, your players are, 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 aren't ever leaving. They're, they're just not. They're going to stay. Yeah. Uh, the, the last chapter close you did... Uh, before we moved on to a new region, you made both me and your partner cry until we started incited a coup. <laughs> it was fat, fantastic. I, I loved every second of it. <laughs> and yes, as a player, I was like, God damn you. But it was also, those are the moments when you know you've got a really good GM because they make you feel for the world. Um, and there have there have been moments where I've managed that, but it's still a skill I'm working on. I don't know how I do it. It just uh I, I love this is why I get bored as a player a lot, is I love running and thinking about uh different characters just just constantly and thinking about how authors and you know uh video game writers and things like that create these characters that made me really emotionally attached and how you can kind of build and replicate that but it does take work you know, i've been dming for for quite a long time and i i had i was fortunate enough to have some very 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 good groups where i could kind of work on like what level of intensity is important because you don't want to take everyone's heart and rip it in two and stomp on it all the time and you don't want to be so uh, intense or almost i would say to the point of maybe disrespectful to your players where you're you're kind of punishing them in a way and and messing with their emotions more than the kind of attachment prospect definitely definitely um one of the one of the other things i really appreciate about your world especially with that specific group of npcs that are very specific to my storyline um, there's two of them that my character is particularly attached to, and she's currently on a quest to save them. And there have been moments in the storyline where somebody said something or did something regarding those two that just made her so irrationally angry that she walked in and smacked everybody down. And those are the moments you want when you're, when you're constructing a world. You know, it's it should be a, a living, breathing thing as best as you can make it pretty much for that reason. Yeah. And then there's other moments where we're backing up one of the other players. Um, I know when I did that, the rest of the group was like, one, don't piss off the bird. Two, who's healing? <laughs> ah, yes. Wait, who who's the healer in this party? I, well, the main one. Yes, I realize everyone has healing spells, but... Who who's the 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 druid uh, uh, Wunderkinder that just lays down a totem and everyone feels a whole lot better? Yeah, that's uh, that's what we thought. Yeah, that there's that. Um, she's she's currently on a murderous rampage. So who's taking over today? 
Right. Uh, so what do you got for us next, Cam? <laughs> uh, so, my next question to you. Uh, as we play Dungeons & Dragons, inevitably, one would hope there would be a dungeon at some point. Uh, if, oops, if you have actually done a dungeon, how much have you planned for it? I plan 100%. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. All right. Um, I I plan a hundred percent, and then throw it out the window, and see what the players are doing, how it's going. So I at least kind of have a subset of of possibilities. You know, I have uh, a map, and I have a lot of things that that can happen. Um, but I love improv. I think Im improvising is one of the greatest things about being a DM is you can just really go with the flow and adjust things as you, as you do it, um, which, is, which is kind of like a, a common sentiment, I think, where, you know, uh, you're, you know, the idea that your players, no matter what you do, no matter what you plan, no matter how you do it, unless you fully railroad, uh, they're going to take whatever plans you have, and it's going to go yeeting out the window faster than you could possibly imagine. But if you plan everything and then you kind of step back to things like bullet points um, and, and opportunities, like I was talking about earlier, then you, you, know, you don't really hit the problem of, of over planning. You just kind of accept plan, toss it, bullet point it, and then see what the vibe of the session is, see how things are going. Definitely. Um, you mentioned heating things out the window. And my first thought is sometimes quite literally. Uh, if memory serves, at some point they threw something out a window and it caused an explosion that kind of bypassed a couple of uh, key points. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, and so that kind of changes and affects the, the story then, right? Um, but, you know, giving those players that, that opportunity to really just, what, are you, what do they want to do? How, how do they want to try and figure this out? And being open to, well, you know what? That wasn't really where I was planning on going with this. There's a bunch of other things. But you know, either the ingenuity or the, the passion or the role playing, you know, whatever aspect of it or multiple aspects of it that I I really kind of love. It's like, you know what? No, this is going really great. Um, or this is not going so great and I need to kind of adjust. Let's shift what's kind of exactly going on, maybe change the dungeon a little bit. You know, if it's taking too long to punch through the dungeon, if we're, you know, like three three sessions through and we're still kind of really barely getting anywhere. Let's cut this down so that we don't like bring a halt down onto the game and people kind of start to grow tired. Um, I know I certainly do. I actually quit. Uh, I've quit a couple of games because we're just trapped in dungeons and dungeoneering for so absolutely long that I just start going crazy because I love role playing so much. Yeah, um, definitely. Although I can think of one you did recently. I don't know if it was a dungeon so much as a labyrinth, but. Uh, that was fun and it was just long enough it was like three sessions which is just long enough to feel right uh, without feeling like we're never going to get out of here yeah and that's kind of i think that's kind of the the, the sweet spot uh for it i also think you know a dungeon you know what what exactly is a dungeon in dungeons of dragons is it going into the cave is it going you know underground is it is it storming a castle you know, a, a dungeon can kind of be anything. 
a lot of mine end up being sewers for one reason or another because we spend a lot of time in in major cities that have problems going on. Um, but you know, I think that's kind of one of the greatest things about how uh, the game has especially been constructed up at this point, where that meaning of dungeons kind of takes on uh, its own life uh, in, in a way. Definitely. Um, I know when I think dungeon, I think of a really enclosed space within the storyline where you're kind of stuck there until certain things happen or you find your way out. Um, but that's that's not to say it's, you know, you're stuck stuck. There's always more than one way out. Um, it's just a matter of how you go about it and whether or not you walk out with what you went in to get. That being said, I don't actually run Dungeons & Dragons. The one time I did, I managed to wipe out the entire party in the first room of the dungeon. <coughs> Mind you, this was second ed, so monsters were a little more powerful. <laughs> Not very unusual for a second ed party wipe. <laughs> uh, especially since it was my first uh, experience jamming period. Um, and oh, yeah. I kind of designed it because back then scenarios weren't so much of a thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've found that my niche is kind of the horror genre, the suspense genre. So while I do occasionally throw them into what I would consider to be a dungeon, it is not nearly as common um, as you would think. Yeah, most of the game I think that I run, like, it dungeons are kind of that thing where it's okay we found this information we've dealt with some other stuff we found out kind of what's the cause of it and that's what kind of goes in the dungeon um and i have to say i really really like what you said about how it's kind of a, a closed space I, I i haven't ever heard it put that way but i really really love that because i think that is a really really big part of what that aspect of dungeon is you know that feeling of isolation um, that feeling of kind of being enclosed in a space that that has that danger, and you know who knows exactly what's gonna what's gonna come out of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you're going in with a specific goal in mind rather than you know whatever the hell else is going on. Yeah, you don't want to just have ooh a dungeon uh, and then. Uh, you know, you kind of just go through it and it's just like, okay, what do we do next? I don't know, another dungeon? Um, that's when I find that games don't last very long, typically. Yeah, I, I think the only place dungeon crawls really belong are in kind of monster of the week adventures type thing where people can come and go. Definitely there needs to be a... Uh, I always like to think of a dungeon as a bonding experience as well, because it's a great place for the players to have their moments to shine and also let them develop their character uh, character relations, potentially. So I think for me the trick with a dungeon is to make it not so long that the players get bored, we're not short enough that the players go, what was the point of that? Yeah, I For can sure. definitely agree with that. 
you know, especially in a game where, you know, it is maybe more role playing heavy, you know, having the characters really engage and and because they don't really have anything else to engage with you know sometimes if you're going through a dungeon you're not really seeing anything or you know maybe there's just a puzzle or the possibility of a trap or you know dealing with some strange thing that they've encountered whether it's an artifact or a curse or or some such thing or the other um and then you know i the other really i think best thing about having a dungeon set up where you are having combat and and puzzles and that sort of thing for people that maybe are a little bit less or just less experienced, or maybe they're just not as into that level of, of role-playing, it really does give those characters a way to, to flex and, and, as you guys said, kind of show uh, their, their abilities, their skills, and, and what they can, that are also bringing to the table. Definitely. Uh, now... When it comes to, that's my next question. Uh, when it comes to creating encounters, one wants to make sure as a DM that, at least generally speaking, the, the players have a fighting chance. Uh, unless you're a particularly uh, sadistic or crazy uh, DM. Those are two separate things, after all. Uh, do you, when coming up with encounters, do you consider the challenge ratings at all and compare those to what your players could potentially face? On some level, yes. Um, but I'm also an ardent believer of looking at what the players are capable of, what they've kind of done in that encounter, and kind of making adjustments. Um, you can you can tell through the combat what people's engagement level is. You know, combat can can take a very long time, um, and you know you don't want every combat to just be like, oh, we, you know, we're just automatically going to get through this combat, uh, whatever. So you still want to like give them a really good challenge, um, but you know, doing things like taking a monster and adding some HP or adjusting stats or changing. Maybe the spells or supernatural abilities um, that that they're capable of, even even doing that kind of mid combat. And I find that not only is that a benefit of kind of preventing experienced players from just, well, I know the AC of this creature, I know the HP of this creature, I know all of this creature's abilities, and so I'm going to construct my character that way, so you can avoid that. But you can also make sure that combat just doesn't become um, really monotonous or completely, you know, disengaged for some of your players. Yeah, I, so the games I have a tendency to run don't really have combat ratings. Um, I do have a tendency to not let the players know what they're up against and definitely I'll adjust HP or armor or whatnot during fights. So if it looks like something where they're going to one shot everything, I'm going to like, no, no, it's going to take you a little longer to kill that than you think. Um, but on the flip side, if it looks like it's something that's going to wipe the party, I'm going to scale it back a little bit to give them a fighting chance. It might still wipe the party, but they might get lucky and beat it. Fair enough. 
I have one final question for you before we wrap this up. It is perhaps the most important question in this entire discussion. Why does the alchemy jug produce two gallons of mayonnaise? Mayonnaise is an incredible tool. You could use it in place of grease. Uh, you could use it as a foodstuff. Uh, I honestly think the mayo is, is a super underappreciated aspect of, of the alchemy jug because the more you kind of think about it, the, the more you can do with it. I mean, you could do something really horrifying too. You know, if it creates, uh, uh, you know, two gallons of, of mayonnaise a day, you know, just fill up a bag of holding and, and then you can just explode a room of rotten mayonnaise on top of someone. Like there's, there's so many interesting you could do outside of the box with something as silly and unnatural as generative mayonnaise. You know, yeah, it, like you mentioned, there are a lot of things you can do with mayonnaise. The other thing is, you know, you can use it for hardtack. Everybody carries hardtack. And if you've ever had hardtack in your life, that shit is chewy and dry. Mayonnaise is a great way to soften that up and make it palatable. <laughs> and players can be really inventive, you know? So, like, you know, I've encouraged the player that I have in, in my current game that has an alchemy jug, like, no, think about it. You know, what, what could mayonnaise do? What could it be? What could it be used for? Like, you know, even if something as simple as going into a tavern that's maybe in a smaller village or something like that, where the, the fare and the food is really, really basic or, you know, like really dry. And then, you know, wh whomever has the alchemy jug can go, oh, wait, Oh, either talking to the innkeeper or helping out the party, you know, at least get the sustenance for the day. You know, that's an aspect of something that you could use that for. Um, you know, I always love it when my players think outside of the box. I let a lot of players kind of get away with things on, on kind of rule of cool in a lot of occasions. And I think something like ingenuity with mayonnaise is definitely one of those things where, you know, you could probably stretch me pretty, pretty far and I'd be like, yeah, you know what? This is hilarious. And also, mayonnaise is funny. Like, is mayonnaise an instrument, right? It, there, there's just stupid things that everyone's going to have a little bit of a giggle with, with something like mayo. And, you know, in, especially in 5th in edition, I think there's that better balance of, of levity and, and seriousness. And that's just one more aspect to kind of encourage your players. You know, be wacky, be silly, have fun with it. You know, this isn't just a serious thing that we're doing here. You want to, like, really have all, all aspects. Also, the number of times you need to find something to trade for an item and you've got nothing, you just go to the alchemist. Hey, I need a jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> because seriously, there is always a tavern or a cook or somebody who could use it. Or even a thief. <laughs> That's easier to squeak through a window if you're greased up with some mayo. Um... Also, less obvious, because who expects mayonnaise? And who's really had it? You know, outside of an alchemy jug, if you, it, I've, I've never really seen specifically like mayonnaise come up, you know, it goes back to the, well, you know, if you offer that cook, right? It's like, hey, you know, have you ever tried this? No. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. I'm going to add it to, to my chicken. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. 
And and suddenly you have a really fascinating like little bit of of economy going on there because you could use the two gallons just to sell to people that might want it or or might think that no that's that's a, a thing I've never tried before I want some and and so you know finding those points of of income outside of just you have completed quest uh, your dungeon is complete and you find a chest full of X items you have killed this creature and now these things drop, you know, that, again, that's that another level of kind of, a, of investment with like, well, now I've got to kind of keep up this business. How do I do that? You know, what happens when I leave this place? Do, you know, am I going to have to f find another alchemy jug or am I going to actually have to figure out how to make mayonnaise or t find out and teach someone else how to, um, depending on, you know, the character that you're playing. Of course, you could also just get up and leave and just do it again in the next town um and and see how much you can kind of make off of that i i think things like that are always just really fun uh i mean for for groups like ours where we already own two taverns something like that could be really useful in that we could have unique foods which would draw in more customers more customers means more money more money means well better bar sorry i just got uh I forget who it was who said, you never expected, and now I've just got in my mind, uh, you never expect mayonnaise, and now I've just got, no one body expects the Belgian Inquisition in my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think that is all of the questions you had, right, Cameron? That is correct. Those were the last of my questions. Uh... Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Ski. Um, do you have any socials you'd like to plug or share where people can find you? Um, I, really, the only social media I think I use at this point is 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 Discord. You can you know you can find me um, under Ski on on Discord. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find because everything is is some sort of plague doctor. Um, but, but outside of that, no, not really. Um, although I do want to say thank you very much for, for the invite and bringing me in as a guest. I really, really enjoy it. Um, hope to, you know, talk to you guys again and, and enjoy another podcast if uh, you ever need me to, or would like me to. <laughs> uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, we, I'm sure Ski can be found on our discord. Uh, all of our cast members are over there. So come hang out with us. And don't forget, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers to come listen to us. And I think that's all we have time for this week. So we will see you in Varen. <laughs>